All right. Any of you into spy movies? I mean, like spy TV shows or, I mean, there's some really popular ones out there right now. Homeland is one. A series on FX that just kind of concluded was The Americans. It was a really good show. I mean, the drama, the storylines were excellent. And then, of course, there's these long histories of spy movies. There's that whole history of Bond films. It really kind of, I mean, sometimes we like some Bond actors or more than others, but they just keep changing, and it's still compelling because it's about the story. There's something compelling about the story. There's something compelling about the Bourne movies as well, right? But the thing is, there's something about that, I think that's compelling, is because when you have a specific mission, there's something that somebody needs to accomplish, and they're facing really difficult circumstances, and somehow they figure out how to overcome it, whether they're infiltrating a shadow organization or working from the inside to bring down some oppressive regime. The storylines draw us in because there's a mission and the folks need to figure out some way to accomplish it. This morning, we're going to be looking at what it is to be one of God's agents here on earth, working for the sake of the kingdom of God. Now, being an agent of God is pretty different than being an agent of a government or a corporation or some sort of other entity. First of all, there's no secret. You're not hiding the fact that you're an agent of God. It's plain for anyone to see, right? If people know you're a Christian, then they kind of know. The gig's up. You're not hiding it. After all, I mean, Paul says in 2 Corinthians that he talks about Christians as being ambassadors of Christ. In other words, representatives of Christ. And we know that. Being a part of God's kingdom is to be one of God's representatives here on earth. Now, another side of that is being an agent of the kingdom of God is different in that spies tend to work alone or in a small group of folks, a small cell. Being an agent of God is a little bit different. You have a built-in community. There's no isolation. You have a built-in support group. I mean, you can look at each other. Here it is. You have a family that we call church. But the one thing that we do have in common with agents in these movies and TV shows that we love is that there is a mission, should we choose to accept it. There is a task that we have been given and that we've been invited to participate in. There may be adversity. There may be challenges, unexpected things that cause us to have to shift this way or shift that way to make things work. But that's the story. That's the story that we're in. And as we're going to see in Nehemiah chapter 2 this morning, we have an ace in the hole, a source of strength and power that makes this whole endeavor a whole lot easier. Now, last week we learned that Nehemiah, upon hearing the news that Jerusalem was in ruins, the walls were broken down, the gates were burned, that Nehemiah's first response was to pray. 
And so, as a congregation, last week we put that into practice right away. We spent time praying during the service. And this week, we're going to look at what happens next. Because remember, Nehemiah left off chapter 1 praying for success because Nehemiah was going to approach the king about something. And so we're going to see what happens in that interaction and beyond uh, this morning. But I think what we're going to find is that being an agent of God is possible not only because it is God who sends, that God is the source of the mission, as it were, but that God provides for, for us and gives us confidence to participate in the work of God in building for the kingdom of God here on earth. In a nutshell, being God's agent is easier than you'd think. A whole lot easier. Now, the idea of being an active participant in building for the kingdom of God may seem a little bit intimidating. You have thoughts like, what could little old me do in the scheme of things? We think like, You know, I'm good with going to church, but building for the kingdom seems like a little bit more work than that. Or you might think, I'm not exactly a paragon of the faith or faithful living. How could I be God's representative? Now, we have all sorts of reasons, things that we use to convince ourselves that being an agent of God in this world is difficult. But again, it is easier than you'd think. And why? Well, We're going to look into Nehemiah, and I think that there's a couple lessons that we can draw from Nehemiah chapter 2 that help us understand why it is easier than we think it is. We're going to pick up the story in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1, and there's going to be a point in this uh, as we're going through the text a little bit later on in the message. We'll kind of skip over a a few things, and I'll explain why. Um, But we're going to begin here in chapter 1. In chapter 2, uh, verse 1, in the month of Nisan, now remember, in the previous chapter, it was the month of Kislev, which was in the autumn, and now in the month of Nisan, it's in the spring. Some time has passed. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when the wine was brought before him, I took the wine and I gave it to the king. Remember, Nehemiah was the cupbearer. I had not been sad in his presence before because usually the cupbearer kind of has to be the cheerful one, right? It's not your job to be a downer before the king. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This could be nothing but the sadness of the heart. You see that there's a relationship there. Nehemiah is not just some servant. The king actually cares for Nehemiah. There's a relationship, as we talked about last week. I was very much afraid, says Nehemiah, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king at this point is putting things together and says, what is it that you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, Let him send me to the city of Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. In essence, he's asking the king to send Nehemiah as a governor, as a political figure in Jerusalem. 
Then the king, with, his, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, how long will your journey take, and when will you get back? Kind of get that feeling like, yeah, go, but I want, you to get, I want you to come back. I want you to be near. It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah? And may I have a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the royal park, so that he'll give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city and for the residence I'm going to occupy? Nehemiah had a whole lot of asks here, right? And because of the the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letter. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. Nehemiah had every right to be worried There was going to be opposition, as we see here. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official had heard about this, they were very much disturbed because someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Nehemiah knew that there was going to be some challenge. He knew that the ask was going to be a significant ask. I mean, it seems like it just keeps on building and building and building. First of all, let me go and not be your cupbearer for a while. Second, You know, uh, some of the neighboring folks aren't so keen on us, so we'd like some safe passage. Oh, and I'd also like to go to the place where they keep the royal stock of the best wood in the royal park, and I'd like to take that stuff and take it over there to use that. Now, he had some months to prepare for this. Nehemiah thought this through. He planned It feels as if he might have been, I'm not brooding over it, but just kind of reflecting and reflecting and reflecting over it. He had plenty of time to plan, but also plenty of time to worry, to be concerned, to be agonized over, uh, is this going to work? You know, sometimes the longer you worry about something, the worse it gets, or at least emotionally, right? It's kind of like taking off a Band-Aid. Now, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not a doctor or a nurse or anything, and so maybe this is totally not true. But sometimes it feels like it's just better to take the Band-Aid off quickly, right? Because the more you sit there and slowly peel that Band-Aid away, it, the whole experience just, just dragged on, and it hurts. It's agonizingly slow. The same thing is when we go to the beach. Now, I love the beach, but it feels like no matter what time of the year here in Southern California... The water is really cold, right? Why is it? It feels like here in Southern California, it should be warm, right? It's always warm. I mean, not today. But it's warm, and we want the water to be warm, but it's cold. But when you go to the beach, if you inch slowly, like as the waves keep going on, you're prolonging that shock going all the way up your leg. It's just better to just go in and get it over with, right? Nehemiah had some time to wait and worry, and so he was concerned. 
He learned about the problem. He researched it. He learned about what would be needed, what kind of supplies would be needed. He learned about the circumstances surrounding the city and the path to Judah. And so he approached the king and asked him for a a massive, massive amount of help. Sometimes life in church, serving in church, working in church, participating in church, feels like there is an endless task to accomplish, an endless list of issues to address. We might think there's also in our own lives an endless number of people in our lives with whom we should share our faith and to be representatives of Christ toward. Here in the church, we, may have, we have an aging facility, and there can be an endless list of things that need to be repaired and maintenance that needs to be done. The list is long and complicated. But if there's something that we draw from, a lesson that we draw from Nehemiah's experience, it is that God provides. God provides for God's work. I mean, look at what transpires in the text. He says, because my God was, the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king grants my requests. The requests were many, and so we kind of fill that out a little bit. The king grant my request for assurance of safety and for the best quality building materials that were kept in the royal reserves. And so he went to the uh, governors of the trans-Euphrates and gave him the king's letters. But what is more, the king gave Nehemiah something he didn't even ask for, right? Which is an army. Nehemiah didn't ask for an army. But God provided one. God provides, right? God provides when the mission is God's. God provides for its success. Let's continue on in the story and see where this takes us. I went to Jerusalem, says Nehemiah, and after staying there three days, I went out during the night with a few others, I had not told anyone what God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. In other words, he hasn't announced it yet. As far as they knew, this guy was a representative of the king just coming to see what was going on. There were no mounts with me except for the one that I was riding on. So he was riding a horse as he was going around at night. By night, I went through the valley gate toward the Jekyll Wall. And if you look in your Bibles, you see that Nehemiah starts to describe a whole long list of things and places that he went to go check. Check this gate. Went around this wall. It was rubble. I couldn't get my horse through, so I went around the other way. That's kind of what happens there. Let's move on. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone and what I was doing because I, as yet, I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or the officials or anyone who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. Why does disgrace matter here? 
Because Jerusalem, as far as the remnant, the faithful of Israel, who had returned to Jerusalem, understood that they were to be the example, the ambassador, if you will, the set-apart nation that would represent God to their neighboring nations. And their walls were ruined. It felt like they had no group identity. They had no community that was their own. They wanted to rebuild it. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And so they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab had heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this that you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? This question makes sense only because they had been a destroyed city because they wouldn't yield. And so the fact that they're rebuilding raises the question, are they going to rise up again and fight back again? And so they're challenging them, saying, Oh, you guys are up to no good. I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem, nor any claim or historical right to it. Nehemiah, at first, had heard the reports, right? In chapter 1, some who had gone to Jerusalem already had come back and given some report of what they had seen. Nehemiah had heard about what had gone on, and he cried as he heard the news. But now Nehemiah was seeing it firsthand. And seeing something firsthand is different than just hearing about it. You know, I could tell you stories about amazing foods, and I have. Um, You guys realize it's been a few weeks since I used a food illustration but now we're back. I could show you a picture of the Impossible Burger. You guys know what the Impossible Burger is? It looks like meat, it feels like meat, and it tastes like meat, but it is not meat. I could describe it to you. The flavors, it, it really seems like it's meat. But until you bite into that burger... You don't really know what it's like. Incidentally, Beyond Burger, which is pretty similar to the Impossible Burger, recently signed a contract with Carl's Jr., and so that's going to be showing up there. Total non sequitur. <laughs> but until you, you can see these images, but until you try it, experience it for yourself, you don't know really what it's like. It's kind of like when I remember growing up, I had heard stories of what the inner city neighborhoods were like. I had seen things on TV shows, I had seen things on movies, and and surely fictionalized television and movie paints an accurate picture, right? But when I first set foot in one of the roughest neighborhoods in the city of Chicago, the sights, the smells, the sounds, the occasional gunshots, it became far more real and far more sad than what I had imagined. 
Nehemiah had heard about what had happened. And now he comes and inspects the walls and realizes, oh boy. And it sinks in. The gates were broken and burned. The walls were in ruins, so much so that he had a hard time navigating around them on his horse. The challenge was immense, and Nehemiah had a great, great opportunity to despair. Nehemiah had a great opportunity to say, okay, this is actually a little bit worse than I thought, and I think we're in trouble. But notice Nehemiah's words again. I had answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. And herein lies the second lesson, I think, that we draw from this text this morning is that as challenging as the task may seem, as challenging as it seems to be building something here as a church that is a light to our community, that is pointing other people to Jesus and the love and grace that is afforded there, it is God's work. It is God who gives confidence in God's work. Nehemiah is confident, not in his own ability to govern, but confident in God. Because let's face it, if the task of building for the kingdom of God, building church, was just ours alone, it would be doomed to fail. But like Nehemiah, we can place our confidence in God. If it is God's plan for your family members, and neighbors to come to know him, God will do it. If it is God's plan to usher this church community into a new season of flourishing and growth, then God will do it. And I believe that it is. Our confidence is rooted in God and God alone, not some fancy words of a charismatic preacher, not in the hope that some savior pastor is going to come here, Not in the fact that there are some great financial minds and people that have some flexibility and kind of work with the budgets on the business end of the church. Those are all great. But our confidence is rooted in God. Because if indeed it is God's work to build for the kingdom of God here in Simi Valley, then God will do it. It is God's work. And that brings us back to the main point. Being God's agent is easier than you'd think because God provides for the work and God gives us confidence for the work. Now, this raises the valid question. If this is God's work, why doesn't God just do it already? Right? Why doesn't God just make it happen with a snap of God's divine finger? Why doesn't God just snap the divine finger and the walls of Jerusalem and gates go back up with even better wood than was given to them from the royal park? To answer this question, I think we need to look at what happens throughout the scriptures that in nearly every step of the way, 
with the notable exception of Jesus' death on the cross, arrival and death on the cross, God constantly involves human beings in the divine task. All the time. Uses ordinary people, messed up people. You could just read the, New, the Old Testament and there's not, a re, there's not a really great person in there. They're all a bunch of mess-ups. I read through the book of Judges. Man, that thing is depressing. But God continues to invite people to participate in God's work, to participate in the activity of building for God's kingdom. Could God have miraculously rebuilt the city of Jerusalem? Sure, why not? Could God have made the opposition posed by Sanballat and Tobiah just disappear? Sure. But instead, God used the remnant of Israel to once again participate in building, in making God known through their city, to be as God's representatives and agents in the world. You see, participating in God's mission or building for the kingdom of God is like participating in something that God is already doing. And that makes it easy. For reasons God only knows, God loves to invite folks like you and I to take part, to participate. I remember one afternoon, I was back in Camarillo in a summer, it was the summer after my uh, college graduation. Um, And in a month from that point, I was about to go back to Chicago and begin my life in vocational ministry with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. I was in the car with my dad. Uh, He had been driving. And we had just kind of pulled back into the driveway after running some errands. And he shared a story with me that I'd like to share with you. He told me, when you were about two years old, you were in the backyard with me at the Oxnard house. I was planting tomato plants in that small garden next to the garage. And you walked over and picked up a small shovel and started poking at the dirt. When I watched you, I was filled with joy. Because even though I didn't need your help, I delighted in you participating in my work. And then he told me, I believe that God delights in you joining his work. Friends, this goes not just for those of us who are in vocational ministry, for those of us who are missionaries or pastors, not just for church leaders or ministry leaders. It is for all of us. Being God's agent is easy because all it takes is each of us doing our little part to participate in what God is doing, a work that God will accomplish, a work that doesn't need us, but a work in which God delights to have us participate. So will you answer that call? Will you put your hat in the ring and say, yes, I want to participate. I want to be a part of this. I want to get up off my seat and work 
for the kingdom of God. Being an agent of the kingdom of God and participating in building it for the sake of God's glory is what being a Christian is about. Representing God here. Now, on your Connect card, there's a few ways that you might want to consider responding. Again, as always, these are just suggestions, uh, things that you could consider. Perhaps you just want to spend time memorizing a verse out of this passage, or you would continue to commit to praying daily that God would provide the resources necessary to help this church family flourish. Perhaps you're going to say, you know what, I've been serving here, but I'm interested in finding other ways to serve, new ways to serve. Now, usually we don't um, spend a lot of time doing a lot of follow-up on your next steps. These are mostly for you to mark something down and to affirm something. But if you mark that down and you are serving here and you want to look for a new way to get involved, we will follow up with you. Maybe you just want to learn more about what it means to serve or to be involved in a church. Whatever it is, let's think about how you and I can put our hat in the ring. For all of us, let us consider how God might be calling each of us in our own way to be participants in building for the kingdom, to be agents who, like Nehemiah, heard the call and went all in. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that in the story of Nehemiah, we see evidence that you were active that we see evidence that you provided. And because you provided and because you are faithful, we can have confidence that you will accomplish your work in your time. Even in this place, here in Simi Valley, Lord, that you will accomplish your work here. Lord, in whatever ways we are called to participate, Lord, I pray that you would lay that on our hearts. If we've been sitting quietly on the sidelines, Lord, would you nudge us further in so that we could be an active participant in this? If we're still looking for a church and we're just visiting, God, would you help us find our community, our place, where we can be your agent? Lord, we ask that you would guide us Bless this church. Lord, may you accomplish your mission here. In Christ's name, amen.